law-abiding Christian. So it's a dope, dope film. If you haven't seen the film, um, Law-Abiding Citizen, I would totally, totally, totally suggest that you definitely watch it. It's well worth it. It's not like the greatest film of all time or anything, but it's definitely one of uh, mine and Jody's personal favorites. It's, it's pretty cool, it's, it's, it's decent. Um, and the kind of plot is, there's this guy, he's straight down the line, good, decent, top, top, successful kind of guy. And um, his house gets like, gets like raided, burgled, attacked. And um, his, his uh, wife and, and daughter are kind of barbarically kind of um, killed. It's not a nice scene, it's pretty graphic, it's not nice, it's pretty sad would mess any human being up. Um, and then those who get caught for it, basically the legal system completely fails. Um, they do get in trouble for it, but they get like some amazing underhand deals going on that mean they don't feel the full force because they help the police with a different case. And so he, um, he basically kind of, yeah, he, he, he kind of does Liam Neeson before Liam Neeson was doing Liam Neeson. Um, it is amazing. The things he does, like, I don't want to spoil it because I just want to connect with the concept. Like, you know what I mean? But, like, totally watch the film. It's a banging, banging film. Now, when we touch on that title and we connect that with what we're looking at, like, we are by no means connecting that plot with that of the book of Galatians because if you've read Galatians since seeing that advert, you'd probably be a bit bewildered and, like, that's not what happened in Law Abiding Citizen. That is not the plot. But there's a similarity that actually sometimes with like disillusionment and with kind of suffering or with a situation, it can cause us to have a shift in how we see things and in how we act. So when we look at the parallel of these two books with this book and the film, it's totally different. They're not the same thing. But what we do see is we see a really good guy, straight up guy who's living life the right way, um, have some things happen to him that's caused him to take a shift. Now, the Galatians, they don't experience like a painful moment in their life that causes the shift, but I wanted to tie in with the film because actually there is a danger um, that we all face and we're gonna explore that over the next coming weeks. And this first week, we're gonna be exploring the first chapter. I'm not even seeking to go like in, like there's six chapters of this book and we'll, we'll tuck into those in due time. But we're gonna just slowly go through and dissect the first chapter of Galatians and find our way through what God kind of wants to say to us. And then holistically, at the end of the series, everything will tie together and connect with what we've explored with the film. But that's a little bit of background for the film and the idea behind it and the idea behind the series. Now, Galatians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Christ Jesus and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom may be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. I'm going to stop there for a minute and we'll kind of carry on with the 
other passage. There's so much stuff just in this first bit. Paul straight away with his introduction doesn't waste any words. Like everything he says is loaded. Everything he says is to his point and everything he says is going to follow through with um, most of his, his letters. Um, this one's really more direct than some of his other introductions. It's similar to most, but even his introduction is, is loading into the main message of what he wants to say to them later on in the book. He's saying he's an apostle. Um, he's attributing that title as being one who's been given the gospel to carry. Like one of the original people, a bearer of the gospel, sent with it to share it to, to the nations. He later on specifically highlights he's sent to the Gentiles, but he's saying not from men, nor through man. So straight away he's getting to one of the cruxes of his point. Like what he's bringing to them isn't his own ideology. He's not bringing to them, well, let's sit around the table, guys. Let's collaborate on how we think this is going to work out. And um, I think we all have something here to contribute to the, to the, to the idea. You know, you know, let's collaborate together. Um, I'm sure that, 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 that Kai and Marv will say something and we can, we can move the gospel a little bit and it'll be better for everyone and more inclusive. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, this isn't mine. This isn't someone else's. No one's got ownership of this. He's saying, I'm an apostle. He's saying... And it's not from a man. I'm not sent by some, some next guy at the top. I'm not sent by someone who's in authority or in power in a humanly sense. I'm not sent by someone of Rome. I'm not sent by someone of a business. I am sent through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him the dead. That's it. Um, so he, he's, he's taking it directly to the source. Um, no middleman involved. Um, and then he says, grace to you and peace. Now, these two things are really, really key because what he's going to tackle in this letter is he's going to be tackling the opposite of grace. He's going to be tackling what happens when you try and take what they originally had. So the, a lot of the believers um, that he's speaking to or those who are influencing their thinking and he himself, who was of a position where it wasn't something you received as a gift from God, but it was very much what you did earned your relationship with God. And so they've kind of returned to this. So he said straight away, he's given his instruction, I'm not sent by some guy, I'm sent by God directly from the source. And then from that source, he proclaims two things, grace and he proclaims peace. Now proclaiming grace from the source is, is, is a significant thing because these, are, these are, are two things that God gives in an exclusive and a unique capacity and are not earned. Jesus said, my peace I give to you and not as the world gives it. It's not a temporary peace. He gives us a different kind of peace. It's not a peace that, that is like works upon your situation. It's not a peace that is tied to it. It, doesn't, it isn't based upon things going your way. It isn't based upon your team winning. It isn't based upon you getting that raise. It's not based upon every relationship in your life falling into alignment. It's not based upon any of these factors. His peace, he gives us it in the midst of those things. His peace he gives us, we have and we experience it in the middle of a storm, not when the waves are settled. We experience it in those situations. It's completely different. So straight away, he's speaking two of the things these people need more than anything else, and he's cutting straight to the chase. And grace, grace is looked at in a number of different ways. So when we speak about grace, often theologically, we talk about two words. We talk about mercy, which is not receiving the punishment you deserve. And grace is receiving the good gift from God that you couldn't earn, that he gives to us, that he lavishes on us. It's undeserved. It's a good thing he gives to us. Those are the two ways. But actually, there's another way of looking at grace. Grace is also like ability. It's a God ability to transform us. It's a God ability. It works through us. 
Um, it's just such an amazing thing with so many different layers and facets to it. And then he goes on to say, um, grace and peace to you from God our Father, from the source, and the Lord Jesus Christ, because he's the means that we can receive that grace from God, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. So Jesus gave himself past tense. So he wants them straight away in his opening statement to understand this is in the past. It's done. It's finished. Just like Jesus' words on the cross when he died, he said, it is finished. Last thing he said, last thing he said before he died, it is finished. It's done. He's given it over. It's completed. It's not something you add to it. So straight away, he's pointing that Jesus gave himself for our sins. He's bringing them back to the focus of the gospel they believed that he preached to them before. So they believed in the gospel before. Jesus came and he died to deliver us from sins, um, for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory and forever and ever. So past tense, he's done it. He's died for our sins. But the reason he's done that is to deliver us present tense from this evil age, from the situations you and I experience. And for these guys, there is a very real situation that they are facing that is absolutely huge. It's not like, it's not money laundering. They're not facing the temptation for, for, for like a one-off kind of sinful moment. They are experiencing a temptation which could rob them of everything. I mean, it could rob them of everything. So this book, he's in straight away. He doesn't fluff it up. He doesn't even like... In a lot of his books, he talks about, oh man, I'm so encouraged by your faith, your hope and your love. And he starts highlighting things about them that he's really encouraged to find among them. He doesn't say any of that in this introduction. And the reason he doesn't is because for him, he's like, oh man, this could go nuclear. This could destroy the whole church. This could make their gathering cease to be a church. Well, Jesus' church anyway. It could be some next thing, but this would cease to be church. So for him, this is huge. So he wants to realign them that Jesus gave himself for our sins and that he came to deliver us from the present evil age, the present tense of where they are because they are not in a good place. I am astonished. So the word he uses, astonished. I love that. So what many churches, and this is what is crazy about this, what he's about to say he's astonished of Actually, you can see in a lot of churches, like I'm not even lying. I've, I've been in churches, I've been around churches where like this is the given. This is the given. This is the norm. And Paul is saying he's astonished by it. And so for some of us today, we might need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves that we might find ourselves in this category of facing and having the similar attitude in different areas and how we interact with different people from different classes, different races and people who experience different sins and struggles than we do. Um, I am astonished you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, so he's like, even if I got confused and messed up, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that was preached to you, let him be cursed which is pretty deep because in other parts of the New Testament other writers have said I wish that I would become cursed that my people would encounter God 
And here he's saying, like, man, if, if someone's preaching a different gospel, like, that's some next thing. Like, let him be cursed. Like, Paul is not, like, this is why he's going fully in. Like, he's not, he's not going, let's deal with this in a blanket way. He's, he's realizing this has the capacity to destroy everything that they should cherish. This has the capacity to do that. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching you to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says it a second time. The guy is vexed. He can see how dangerous this is. This is. Um, for I am now seeking, for, for am I now seeking the approval of man? Serious question. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I seeking to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. It's not man's version of good news. It's God's. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it which is crazy. The guy who tried to destroy it is now laying down the lines and do it, fighting fiercely with his words to protect the very thing he tried to destroy. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. That's huge. This, this bar here is so, so huge because what he does in the beginning is he talks about, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, God the Father, God the Father. Now there's a distinguishment between... God the Father, and now he's talking about the traditions of my fathers, my fathers, and he's talking about that in the past tense of what he had before. He wants to make it a very distinct camp that they can see very clearly that when it comes to Judaism and the traditions of their fathers, that's one thing, but what's directly given from the Father, that's another thing. So the grace that God gives is one thing in this camp over here. He's separating that from the traditions that they found themselves in. So I was zealous for the traditions, hashtag shots fired, but when he who has had, had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, he can't stop dropping this. He, doesn't, he never drops this word as frequently as this. It's crazy. He's just nonstop. Was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. I didn't look to the approval that he's saying. I didn't look to the approval of the other the other dons. I didn't go to the other apostles. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia. I returned to Damascus. That's the place where Paul found his revelation of Jesus and became a follower of Jesus. Then after three years, so they had three years with Jesus in his ministry. So he was like, nah, man, man's not missing out. So he stayed there three years in the area, in the vicinity of where he encountered Christ because he wanted his own discipleship with God, even though Jesus had ascended. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, to Peter, and remained with him 15 days. So he gave God directly three years. He gave 15 days to Peter, who was pretty much the biggest don in the church at the time. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Um, then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilica. Ah, I can't even say it, that's terrible. Cilica. 
silicone, Silicon Valley, whatever. Hashtag lies. And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. So he uses some words earlier on. He used astonished. He said, um, there are those seeking to trouble you and they're seeking to trouble you through distorting um, the gospel. So there's these different words he throws around. So he flows with this, with this one flow in, in chapter one where he talks about he's astonished. He's astonished. The reason he's astonished, and it's the perfect word to use, is because they've received this gift of grace where Jesus was crucified on a cross, died for them. He died for their sins. He died for things they'd done wrong, which they should receive judgment for. He died for that. He died for that to deliver them from the evil of this present age. The evil of this present age can be summed up in so many different ways, but ultimately will always be summed up in selfishness and seeking your own gain. Always. The root of every single sin will always come down to self. So he's highlighting, he's highlighting that to them. And that's why he's saying he's astonished. He's astonished because he's going, I, he's the one who preached them this gospel. He's the one who, who gave them uh, the gospel of Jesus. And he's gone away. And he also talks about so soon. So he's shocked that it happened so soon after receiving such an amazing gift, unfathomable gift that Jesus, that God will come, become flesh and blood as Jesus and give his life for us, for our sins, and then to deliver us here and now from this evil age that we live in and the situations that we face. The evil age that we live in, just like in the film, um, Law Abiding Citizen, the evil age where someone would want to burgle and um, treat your wife the way the wife's treated and, and the child and, and killed and, and um, abused and violated. This evil age that we live in. Um, in the midst of that, that he would give his life to deliver us from that. That one day we would live in an age where that doesn't reign, where Jesus reigns and where things are forever new and they don't fade away and sickness and death don't reign over us. But Jesus reigns and has the final say. So he's astonished. He's completely astonished that you'd receive something of such infinite value and you would trade it for, because people want to cause trouble among you and they want to distort the gospel. Now, if we were to look around us today, there are so many different ways that we could talk about the gospel being distorted. We could say it this way. We could talk about healing. There are guys who want to talk about healing in, in church. Don't get me wrong. God heals and God can heal whenever God wants to heal. And I believe God heals today and I've prayed for people and they have been healed. I've prayed for people and they're dead as well. Both of those things. God heals today. Totally. But the promise that God gives to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ is there will be a resurrection and that one day there'll be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, no more tears. Lazarus is dead. I'm going to throw that one down. Lazarus was raised back to life. Lazarus died again. There was a little girl Jesus raised to life. She's dead. We haven't seen her in the ends. She's gone. <laughs> so he may have raised them to life, but they're dead. Do you see what I'm saying? So your friend can get healed of terminal cancer. And you know what? God did heal them. But you know what? That doesn't mean that they won't get hit by a bus and die. People die. We die. Do you see what I'm saying? So the promise of God in the gospel isn't healing. It's not to say God can't heal. God does heal. That's not the promise. That's not the gospel. And I wouldn't trade what Jesus offers me in the gospel for healing. I wouldn't trade it for that. You think I want to avoid death once? No. You think I want to avoid death but know that my daughter is going to be facing what she's going to face when she grows older? No. Do you think I, my mum and my dad, my mum and dad are close, they're old. They're really old. Like They're going to die. 
You think I want to trade the gospel for my dad to avoid death then and just die again another time? No. Death, where is your sting? That's what the gospel brings. You get loud. You get loud when the gospel comes. You wouldn't want to. So he's astonished. And people want to distort it. So sometimes people preach about healing. They want to distort the gospel. And I'm like, no, that's, that's not, don't get me wrong. I think you should preach on healing. But in the context of this isn't the gospel, but God does this as a sign of who he is, that people may receive the gospel, the bigger prize than the healing. And then you get guys who are on some prosperity wave. And the way they want to preach about it is like, oh, well, there's guys in the Bible that were mad rich, you know, God wants you to be mad rich, da 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 No, yeah, there were guys in the Bible that were mad rich. Abraham was a baller. Yeah, you're right. Job was a baller. Job went through some pretty rough stuff as well, if we're going to throw it in context. And he got even richer at the end. Yeah, cool, but you know what I mean? That's not the gospel again. My hope is not built on the fact that Abraham had loads of money. That's not why I follow Jesus. Because um, Jesus is a homeless vocational rabbi, by the way. That's who I decided to follow and worship. And he was crucified by the Romans and he was resurrected. And um, he didn't seem too bothered about the monetary system when he was on this earth. Um, in fact, actually, most of what he said was about it, but challenging us to be different in how we see money. So we can twist that and that's not it. Then there's other types of Christians who are really funny about money in the opposite sense. And they kind of like feel guilty about everything and they never really push themselves to succeed or progress because money's a dirty thing, which just means people who are dirty with money end up having more money. So that doesn't really work either. And then sometimes they'll do projects they feel guilty in another part of the world, but they won't really do things strategically for sustainable change. They'll just perpetuate the suffering that people go through. Like none of that for me is the gospel. The gospel transcends helping someone uh, lengthen their life for a short period of time or alleviate a slight bit of suffering. The gospel alleviates eternal suffering. Do you see what I mean? And so we can't lose this. And so for him, he's like, what's going on? He's gobsmacked, he's astonished because the trouble and the distort that people are bringing in. And Paul, he makes it about God the Father versus the traditions of our fathers. And I wanna ask you this question as I ask myself this question. This week, take time to explore what your Christian traditions are. And whether those traditions are ones that you've had from, from church, from here could be could be from anywhere this isn't the perfect place I'm, I'm not the perfect pastor I screw loads of things up if you've got traditions in your life that you need to to think twice about maybe you need to think twice about them are there certain people of certain backgrounds certain sins that you really distance yourself from that maybe you stigmatize against them like oh yeah you know well oh man like yeah yeah it's cool like got love for this person got love for that person got love for that one. Oh, not those not that sin not that type of person not that class like we, 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 when we think about the gospel and we come to church, we think with our, our mind that, like, oh yeah, of course we love everybody and da, da 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 But then in the week when we're around that type of person, like it's a bit different and you find out what the truth is. We need to realize, are we walking in the traditions of our fathers or are we walking in God the Father's call in the gospel of what he's called us to be? Because he's, he's made it very clear that God will not forgive you or me if we don't forgive others. He's made it perfectly clear. So he expects us to love and accept people that are sinners just like you and I are. And that's one of the deep problems in this, in this book that we'll get into over the weeks. We'll start to see where the cracks are appearing. But in the next couple of weeks, we'll hear about the, the biggest danger that could ever threaten a church, which is why Paul isn't mixing his words at all. The good news is, not the ultimate good news, that is the gospel, but some good news that I'm going to share today is this, is that... As he ends, he says, he who used to persecute us 
is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of him. He ditched his father's traditions and he pursued the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result, those around him could see the difference and they're like, rah, this is the guy who was like this. Now look at who he is. And they glorify God because of him. There are people who can enter into life change and eternal life with Jesus Christ and God's kingdom and experience real change here and now because you and I drop the traditions of our fathers and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. They won't experience it if you don't drop your father's traditions. They won't experience it. If you're going to walk in the same attitude towards the homosexual community, I'm telling you, they won't experience the eternal life of Jesus Christ, which goes beyond the finite sins of here and now on this earth. And if we hold to the bigotry we've had regarding different races, creeds or classes... I don't like the posh, or I don't like the poor, or I like some poor, but not that poor, or whatever. I don't want to be around them, I don't want to be around these ones, or not those ones. Or people, oh, some people like really get reviled by this sin, or that sin. As long as we keep walking in those traditions, and keeping them there, that's not what Jesus did. Can you imagine if Jesus came down to earth and kept us at an arm's length because of our sin? Can you imagine? You wouldn't be saved. We wouldn't go to the cross. The cross isn't arm's length, the cross is arms open. And God calls you and I to ditch our traditions and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. What change needs to happen in your life, in my life, in our lives, that people will glorify God because of you? They will see the person who used to persecute us because of this. They saw us. They used to always chat about my relationship. They always used to chat about how I was with this. They always used to chat about this sin of mine, that sin of mine. And they always used to chat about how I treat people this way. But now they see the difference. What tradition... Am I, are you, are we, are us clinging to that is getting in the way? Because ultimately, whatever tradition that is, that is the present evil age that you and I live in, that we're contributing to. And God came flesh and blood, gave his life for our sins and to deliver us from this evil age. He wants to deliver us Um, And he wants us to be a part of the process that he is going to use to deliver those around us from the heartache, the pain and the suffering that they are experiencing today. I'm going to pray for us and, and that'll be it. Father, I thank you for your gospel. It was a really good idea. Thanks. It was it was amazing. Um, Thank you that you did not keep us at arm's length. But actually, although you were in the form of God. You emptied yourself. You clung on to nothing and became in the form of a man, flesh and blood, all the limitations. And then you were obedient to God to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, you were given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we want you to have glory in our lives. May we learn to bow low as he bowed low. May we receive this wonderful gift. May we not exchange it for those who want to trouble us so that we may distort this gospel into being about getting a holy ATM or getting um, the healing that takes away that constant pain from whatever problem we have. Yes, Lord, we come to you and ask you to heal us. Yes, Lord, we come to you and ask you to provide for us. But Father, we put our trust not in these finite problems that we face. We put our trust in you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you will reconcile all things to yourself. And behold, you will make all things new. And these things will pass away and there'll be no more suffering, no more sickness, no more death. Because you're going to make all things new and you're going to sustain it. May we be 
agents of that change and transformation in Jesus' name. Amen.